Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue to go through our, our teachings through the Bible, and tonight's message is on the book of Micah. Micah was a, a prophet that lived in Judah about the same time as Isaiah, you know, and he lived in the, the southern kingdom, you know, that that he was in this tiny little town that was a little bit south west of where Jerusalem was. So Isaiah was in Jerusalem and Micah was in this small town. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. And I don't believe, and I can be wrong, that they didn't really know each other. Although that their messages were very similar in what they were saying to the leaders and to, you know, the leaders of the church and the leaders of the towns, the leaders of the cities, their messages were very similar. It wasn't until later on that they came across their writings, and then, you know, they compiled them to see how accurate both of them were. Because they didn't recognize someone as a prophet until what they said came true. You know, so a lot of times when the prophets were prophesying and confronting the leaders, no one was paying any attention to them. You know, so, you know, Micah began to warn that Assyria was going to come and take out Judah, which was the northern kingdom, and then swoop down and destroy Jerusalem and plunder, you know, the city and take all the riches. And then after that, there was going to be another, you know, army that came through, Babylon, you know, and they would follow them if they did not repent. However, all the other prophets that were in the cities were telling the leaders in the, in the church or the temple that they were doing good. Everything was fine. You know, so there was always this one little voice, you know, crying out in the wilderness, per se, against, you know, what was really going on in the city. But no one wanted to listen to those prophets. You know, so he accused Israel, you know, how they were rebelling against God and that judgment was soon to come. And that even though that the other prophets were telling them that they're good and that everything's going to be fine that God was not listening to them, that God was going to come and and bring judgment. You know, and in the midst of it, Micah is also talking about restoration. That he'd almost, you know, he was telling them that judgment's coming. There's nothing you can do at this point. You've had too much time to repent. You're not listening. But on the other side of complete destruction, God's still good. You know, and, you know, no one wanted to listen to Micah, just like they haven't listened to, to the other prophets. You know. But as they didn't respond to God's warnings that judgment was going to come soon, that they'd almost been in rebellion for like 500 years. Like God had been sending prophet after prophet after prophet and warning after warning after warning, you know, and they still didn't listen. You know, how many times in our lives do we get many warnings and we refuse to listen? You know, it's not until everything falls completely apart that we're like, okay, God, I got your attention. You got my attention now. You know, but when we start to reflect, we can see like all these little times that God's been speaking into our situations and saying, you should stop doing this. You should start doing that. You should stay away from this person. You should start getting closer to this. You should be more consistent in church. You should get in your word. Like it's only when things get completely destroyed 
is when it's like our ears tune in to God's voice for the first time in a long time. And I wish that it wasn't so, but when things are going okay, we don't pray. It's when things go crazy is then we get on our knees and we get out our Bibles and we dust them off and we rededicate ourselves and we we come before God and say, here I am, you know, and it's so important that we recognize that this cycle is all through the Old Testament, you know, from the, the time of Moses right on through Joshua, Judges, David, Solomon, you know, and the prophets. You know, there'll be times when they're doing good and then times when they're doing bad. Times when they're doing good, times when they're doing bad. You know, and sometimes it would be 40 or 50 years of good and 100 years of bad. Sometimes it would be, you know, a lot longer that things were going bad because there would be evil kings in the Lord's eyes that did evil that were running the show. But what Micah was continuing to tell them is that their leaders were corrupt, that they were greedy, and that their prophets were prophesying things to gain money, not that they were doing it for God's house because God's house was sick. The temple was sick, the prophets were sick, the leadership was sick, the whole thing was sick, and God was going to tear it down and rebuild it. You know, and the leaders and the the priests and the prophets that were in the cities didn't want to hear that. They're like, no, we're doing good. Our pockets are full. You know, and... And we have to realize that, you know, in this day and age in America, the prosperity gospel that gets thrown around, that God is doing great when you're, you have a lot of money, that's not legitimately true. You know, it doesn't mean that God can't bless us, and that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, have strategic gain and, and you know, and use our money and, and steward it and do the right thing. It doesn't mean that God can't do those things. But so often we think that because I'm rich, God is is for me. And a lot of times the way that people would gain money in the past, and even today, you know, that we're very greedy, we're very deceitful, you know, and we see all these, you know, leaders in the Old Testament and these prophets that would, you know, use God to manipulate the people and take advantage of the poor. You know, and because... God was going to protect his people that he wasn't going to take it anymore and that he was going to come in and begin to to tear down the system that had been corrupting and taking advantage of his people. You know, Micah continues to tell the leaders that they are being lied to by his prophets because God has really withdrawn his, his self from them and his protection and that judgment is coming because the leaders and the prophets are working together to commit grave injustices to all of God's people by bending justice to the favor of the rich and taking advantage of the poor and selling their land and putting them into slavery. You know, and so, you know, the the religious leaders of the day, the, the governmental leaders of the day, were stealing the land, their security, and the hope of the people. You know, and everything that they were doing was in a violation of the Torah. You know, which declares that what they were doing was illegal. That you aren't allowed to sell people's land. You know, you know, we, we see the, you know, the year of Jubilee that Moses had written in the law. That technically all through the Old Testament, that never took place. And the year of Jubilee is when all the slaves were restored and, and all their land was given back to them. 
and that they were set free, that, you know, it was the image of God's grace. You know, even though you may have messed up and even though that there's been poverty in your life, God wiped it clean, you know, and they never held this law in place because the rich didn't want to give away their money or their land they you know, stolen from people in different types of deceitful ways. <clears throat> you know, so this land would always belong to the family. It would stay in the family. It would be passed down from father to son, to father to son, to father to son. And and when times would get tough, that they wouldn't have a harvest or they, you know, would have to sell their sheep or whatever they were using to, to maintain themselves. And, and they would get caught in these situations where, you know, they would have to sell themselves into slavery that, you know, they would never let them back out of it again. You know, and this is almost an image of how sin grabs a hold of us and it keeps us in slavery and it never lets go. You know, so this imagery, you know, that's taking place is very similar to the enemy doesn't want to let us go just because we decide that we want to have a year of jubilee that we want God's grace in our lives, that we want to come before God and say, all right, I'm 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 not being a slave to that anymore. I want to follow your ways. You know, and the enemy in our sin nature doesn't always agree with the idea that it's time to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. You know, usually there's a big fight that has to take place for us to find freedom. You know, however, you know, God has a lot to say when we start doing things against his word. You know, that, and God's judgment is coming. You know, and it will come in the form of an oppressive nation, and it will, and who is going to destroy Judah and the security of Jerusalem and destroy God's temple. So here's Micah, you know, prophesying against God's temple, which got everybody in an uproar, you know, and they're, you know, and they're, they're all upset at Micah because how could you say that? How could God tear down God's house? You know, God's, House can't be destroyed. You know, but Micah's prophesying that because that they're worshiping idols and they're getting involved in sexual sin and they're, you know, stealing from the poor and they have these injustices and putting people in slavery and, and they're not just doing it to the refugees and the people that are around the cities, they're doing it to God's own people. And because these things are taking place in God's, you know, city, in God's house, in God's temple, you know, that they're worshiping all these, you know, other idols in these places and, and that they're still trying to say they represent Yahweh, you know, God was going to destroy it and wipe it clean and start over again. You know, and Micah's giving this very stiff warning to the people, you know, and they didn't like to hear it. You know, how many times do, you know, that God speaks into our situations and we're like, I don't like that. You know, my God, my Jesus is a gentleman. If anybody finds that scripture, can you please let me know? Because God deals with us harshly at times. You know, God says enough is enough and, and breaks things off. You know, when, you know, I know some of our stories, but when we got sober, it wasn't pretty. That wasn't the day we're like, oh, God is good. Praise the Lord. You know, that was a day that all things felt like everything was going to be destroyed. You know, the day that we get saved usually doesn't isn't a good day. The day that we, you know, get sober usually isn't a good day. 
The day that we get confronted on our sexual sin usually isn't a good day. The day that, you know, our secrets are being revealed is not a good day. This isn't a day that we're like, oh, thank God this finally happened. You know, I look at now, many years past, that when God put me in a jail cell, it was God's grace in keeping me alive. If I kept going in the direction that I was going, I was on a pathway to death. God putting me in rehab was God's grace. And I hated it. I didn't want to do it. But yet it was little pieces of getting my attention. Pain and destruction. That sin isn't fun. That as much as I want to continue doing things my way, that it just seems like it can't work out. I'm not comfortable. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. So often... You know, God is dealing with us and not letting us be comfortable in what we're doing. And very often we're hearing God speak to us into our situations, but we don't like what he's saying. Why can't I just continue doing what I'm doing and you be okay with it and leave me alone? Like, God, there's other stuff that you could be doing. Leave me alone. I'm not bothering anybody. I'm just trying to have fun. You know, that was always my excuse. Like, whenever I'd get arrested, I'd always tell the cop, I'm just trying to have fun. Leave me alone. Why is that ruining my fun? You know, and I see now, you know, how Jesus was at work in my life long before I acknowledged him, long before I believed in him. God was coming in and saying, Tom, you can't keep doing this. This is not what you want to be doing with your life. This isn't where you want to be going in your life. You know, and God gives us these stiff warnings. You know, Micah is speaking to, you know, the people. You know, a message of hope in the midst of it. Like, stop doing that. You know, you're hurting people. But God's going to restore it after he gets done, you know, tearing this thing down. You know, and he uses, you know, these illustrations, you know, God is the shepherd who will rescue his remnant and he will be, you know, he is faithful to his people and he will bring them back to the good pasture and that he will be king once again. This destruction won't be permanent because one day God will exalt his temple and filling it with his presence. And it, it made the people angry because what he is saying is that God had left the temple and God did. He withdrew himself. You know, he withdrew himself and he prophesied, you know, the Assyrians to come in and bring destruction. You know, that Judah technically was never supposed to separate from Israel, but because of Jeroboam, who was an evil king, that they separated themselves from Israel and they became two kingdoms. And God did not want that. So God came in and completely destroyed Judah and then came down and dealt with Israel as well. You know, there's times that we're doing things and God does not want us to be doing what we're doing. And he brings judgment. He brings correction. You know, so often we see correction and we disregard that God is moving in it. You know, how can God be doing this? You know, God is like that. And we pick and choose Bible verses that make us feel warm and fuzzy. And we disregard the the warnings in Scripture that says, I should not be participating. 
I shouldn't be a drunkard. I shouldn't be immoral. I shouldn't be fornicating. I shouldn't be stealing. I shouldn't have unjust. I shouldn't be greedy. I shouldn't be this. I shouldn't do this. You know, and there's, you know, over and over and over again, all throughout Scripture, there's all these times that God is warning His people that there is a way to live and there is a way not to live. That when you believe in me, that you're to live this way, and when you don't believe in me, then you live this way. It doesn't matter if you act like you believe in me or not. Your actions show who you truly serve. You know, and I know for me, as I've, you know, gotten saved, there's things in my life that got changed that wasn't on the table for me trying to change. I was just trying to use Jesus to get sober. You know, and when I first came to the church, you know, Jesus was going to help me get sober, but Jesus had no right to speak into my sexual sin. The Bible is old, it's outdated, you know, culture's different today. So I just continued doing what I wanted to do, but yet continued to try to get Jesus to help me to stay sober. But the shame in the, in the, in my lifestyle brought me to a place where I ran from church, I ran from Jesus. Because I knew that what I was doing is wrong. So what did I do? Did it more. <laughs> I don't want to stop. This is fun. This is what I want to do. My will. You know, we have free will. You know, that's the greatest lie in the church. That we don't have free will. That when we say that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and my Master, my will has been given to Him. And for us as Christians to say, I still have free will, means that He's not my Lord and my Master. That I'm not doing what He wants me to do. I'm still doing what I want to do in Jesus' name. And that's where we have a lot of confliction. That's why we can't get Jesus to get manipulated. And we pray our will in Jesus' name. And things aren't happening the way we hoped they were happening. And things are moving a lot slower than we'd hope. And every time we get close to the thing that we want, it seems like we can't grab it. It's because we're trying to manipulate the system and get God to do what we want Him to do. And yet there's been warning after warning after warning that He's been talking to us about certain things at certain times that says, that's not what I want. That's not what I have for you. I have a purpose and a plan, and it is good. But this isn't it. And we don't want to lay down our lives for Him. You know, Jesus' message is that we deny ourselves and follow Him. And usually we deny Him and follow our own desires. But we praise, and we I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, praise the Lord. And we show up to all the Christian functions, but yet what I do is what I want to do. You know, and when I came back, after my sin didn't work again, I said, I'm doing it your way. You know, and I, I laid some things down that I thought I would never lay down. And God started to move in my life in ways that I never anticipated were possible. Breaking me free from depression, breaking me out of, you know, addiction, breaking me out of anxiety, breaking me free from a variety of different things that were rooted in my sin. You know, and this is what God's trying to do to His kingdom, to His people. He's trying to break them free from their lifestyle, break them free from their sin patterns. Even though He's going to be exiling them to Babylon, 
that God is still good, that He's going to restore His people, that He's going to return and He's going to bring them back to the land, that He's going to bring forth the Messiah King, that He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, Micah's the one that declared that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So when Herod had contact with the wise men, the Magi, and they said that the king was going to be born, he's talking to the religious rulers and like, what's going on? Is this true? Yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So he sends his army to wipe out all the children in Bethlehem. All because Micah had written this hundreds of years prior, that the Messiah King was going to be born in that tiny little town. Because they valued his words because everything that he had prophesied came true. That he was going to rule Jerusalem, that he was going to restore his people, that he was going to be their God, and that they were going to be a blessing among the nations. See, back then, you know, they, the Jews only thought, the Hebrew nation only thought that Yahweh was for them. But there's all these things interwoven where God was telling them that they're going to be going into all the world, that I am the God of this world, not just this tiny nation. But he started with this nation. Sometimes he starts in our lives and he wants us to be an influence to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our jobs, you know, to our church, to people around us, that God starts getting a hold of us. You know, when God starts getting a hold of us, other Christians tell us to calm down, right? Isn't that true? Like, settle down. You're, you're getting too self-righteous. Like, no, like Jesus is burning on the inside of me. Something needs to take place. Like, no, 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 no. Calm down. You're serving too much. And we have to go after God, and it's going to convict some people that are in our little Christian bubbles. But are we doing it for people's praise, or are we doing it to praise Jesus? Because I know for me, when God started setting me on fire and breaking me free, I didn't believe that this was real. I did not think that this was real. So when Jesus started moving and talking to me and the Holy Spirit became like a thing and it wasn't just people being weird and falling down and speaking in weird languages all the time, like that was an actual real thing? Like the Holy Spirit was moving? It completely uprooted me out of my bubble and he put me out in this other place, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for you. You know, my close-knit friends hated what was happening in my life. I had friends that say, you know, behind my back, I hope he dies. I hope he dies in a burning car. Wishing death upon me. Now, obviously, they weren't Christians. But I've had some Christians say some pretty wonderful things about me, too, throughout the years. And you know what? We're going to have that. If you are doing what God is asking you to do, and it's biblical, and the Holy Spirit is guiding you, you're going to create waves no matter where you are. If you're in the world, and you're in the workplace, you're in your family, you're in the church, things are going to get... Turned up. But he wants to use us to be a blessing. That he prophesies that we're going to be a blessing among the nations. You know, and 
there's mission trips during the summer and, and there's places that we go. I mean, you could have never told me the places that I would visit with Jesus. I was just trying to get sober. I didn't really leave New York State all that much. And now he like sends me all these places. And I like winter, as most of you know. He always sends me places that are hot. See, we're just gods of practical jokes. He's up there laughing. Like, Jesus, watch what I get him to do. Holy Spirit, go get him. You know, God's speaking to every one of us in this room in different ways. He's pushing us and prodding us and trying to get us to move and trying to get us to, to let one thing go so that we can grab a hold of another thing. You know, and Micah is doing this to them. He's exposing this unjust economic practice that Israel's leaders are, are using to destroy the land and God's people. You know, and later on we see Jesus go into his, you know, father's house and he's flipping tables and he's freaking out because they're doing the same thing. Even after the Assyrians and the Babylons destroyed everything, here they are doing the same thing again. Why? Because we have hard hearts and we still want to do what we want to do. You know, Micah begins to state, He has told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And this is exactly what Israel was not doing, that they were bending the rules, they were bending the laws and bringing ruin and shame and defeat and destruction that was going to bring forth the exile but he was also saying, watch what God does. He's going to bring mercy. He's going to forgive. And then Micah goes on to start stating God's character. We believe in a God who forgives sin and pardons the sinner. Haven't we been pardoned? Haven't our sins been uprooted? I remember so much in the beginning as people were saying to me, like, God will forgive you if you let, you know, if you ask for forgiveness. And I, I wouldn't accept it. Because I, I projected my ability to forgive on God. That I had to prove that I was forgivable. Thank God that that's not really how this works. You know, if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to remove all unrighteousness. But will we repent? Will we repent of the sins that we're committing? Or do we still find comfort in them and satisfaction in sin, even though God has poked at them time and time again? That we're a group of pardoned sinners. But yet, don't we still sin? We do. And yet, there's still things that God wants us to work on so that we can step forward and bring His Word, His presence into situations in our lives in our families' lives, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in ways that go beyond our comfort zone. But God's mercy is more powerful than His anger. You know, <clears throat> Micah is prophesying that God's mercy is more powerful than His anger, but yet He's prophesying that His anger is going to destroy the nation and tear down the temple. You know, and a lot of times we don't really realize how powerful God's mercy is. That when we come before God and we say, God, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. 
and we truly put our heart at his feet, say, God, you're the only one that can change me. You're the only one that can rip this desire out of me. You're the only one that can break off this addiction. You're the only one that can heal this wound. You're the only one that can change this mindset. You're the only one that can break me free of this. And we stop trying to manage our sin. And we truly come before Him and say, enough is enough. I'm ready to do it your way. His mercy comes like a flood. And He begins to heal us from the inside out. That something new begins to take place. The Bible talks about that our heart is regenerated. You know, Jesus talks about that we need to be born again. A lot of times we're just going through the Christian motions. And we have yet to lay these things down so that we don't really know that there is this other way to live. You know, and and Micah is prophesying that his mercy is more powerful than his anger. Although he's going to bring judgment, he reminds the people of God's promises. That God will stay true to his covenant that he swore to uphold so long ago. And Micah is pointing to the covenant that he made with Abraham way back in Genesis. That all the nations will find God's blessing through Abraham. But Israel will become a blessing to the nations. But they must be faithful to their God. You know, and we have to begin to choose. You know, who will we be faithful to? You know, Jesus asks us. He's like, if you want to go, go. And Peter's like, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the the words of everlasting life. I know I was a very sick individual for a very long time. And I know most of you in here, and so were you. We've tried every other corner of this world to try to find satisfaction and and we've been left empty over and over and over again we've tried it our way we've tried substances we've tried relationships we've tried sex we've tried porn we've tried food we've tried money we've tried education we've tried success we've tried it we've tried it if there's a thing that we could possibly try there's somebody in this room that tried it and at the end of the day We feel shame, we feel empty, we feel broken. There's confusion, there's depression, there's anxiety. And a lot of times we just want to die. We just want it to be over. I don't know how many Christians through the years that says, I wish the rapture would come today. I just wish that he would kill me. I just want to go home. I just want to be done with it. Thank God that's not how it works. That He's got more for us to do. There's things that He has yet in store for us. There's blessings and there's rewards. There's an inheritance that He gives us on this side of heaven. But we must be faithful to our God. God is going to bless the nations. But He must confront and judge evil amongst His people. But His judgment leads to hope. Because God is a covenant God and He is a loving God. And His promises lead to hope. His mercy leads to hope. His grace leads to hope. 
that He does not leave us in this broken place. That many of us have been in really, really broken places. And we could not see a way out. And He came into our darkest place and said, come here. I love you. I got you. He allowed sin to reap what sin reaps and it's destruction. And at the right moment, He comes in and says, I love you. Now follow me. And we have to choose that. And a lot of times we get out of the darkness, we're like, thanks Jesus, I got it from here. And after a little while, we find ourselves right back in the destruction again. And then he comes back and he picks us out and he says, I love you. Dusts us off a little bit. We're like, thank you, Jesus. I got it from here. When are we going to learn that our will will always lead us back into the deepest, darkest place that we can imagine? We cannot lead ourselves, that we are broken. And that's why he prophesies that he is going to bring a good shepherd. And that Jesus is that shepherd that will lead his sheep. But will we allow him to lead us where he wants to take us? Or are we continually trying to get Jesus to do what we want him to do? I've not been successful at trying to get Jesus to do what I want him to do. Just letting you know. If you have, let me know the secret so I don't do that stuff. I've tried to get my will accomplished. I've tried. I remember very clearly the day I'm sitting in front of my house and money's tight and I can't pay bills and I'm frustrated and God's not providing the way I think He should and I'm so angry I hit my steering wheel so hard I bent it. And God says, you can be angry all you want. You can't manipulate me, Tom. And I'm like, Because that's what we do with our anger. We try to manipulate to get our will accomplished. We huff and puff and we scream and we control and I swear I'll do this and I'll do that and I won't do this and I'll run away and I'll blah, blah, blah. And all we're trying to do is get our will accomplished and what our will does leads us back into darkness. And what Jesus is saying is surrender. Surrender. And I will guide you out. He is a covenant God and He's made a covenant with us that He will love us. He will not give up on us. He will not forsake us. That He's a friend closer to the brother. And that is the greatest promise and that is also a curse. Because when we run from Him, dude, He's like the best marathon runner. He's like, hey, how you doing? This working out real good for you? You know we're going the wrong direction, right? I got other things we could be doing, you know? We're like, ah, shut up. I want what I want. And we get angrier the more God loves us when we're going in the other direction, right? And we rebel a little harder. Like, see, I'm not lovable. And he's like, still love you. I'll prove you wrong. Still love you. You can't. 
That when we come before Him and we say, Jesus, I want You in my life. Come into my heart. I'm ready to, to surrender my life. That I'm making a covenant with a covenant-making God that He does not break that covenant. And then from that day forward, He's trying to make us Christ-like. And He will work in our lives to break off sin. It will never be comfortable. We can never go back before and say we didn't know. Because we know. Then Micah begins to end his book. He has a purpose for us, and it's not to destroy, but it is to save and redeem. And Micah ends, God delights in his covenant of love, so he will again show compassion. He will trample evil. He will toss our sins into the depths of the sea. There is no condemnation in Christ because His blood is washed as clean. But why can't I do the things that I want to do? And why can't I stop doing the things I don't want to do? It's because we have this sin nature that hasn't been dealt with yet. Why can't I resist lust? Why can't I resist addiction? Why do I keep going back to porn? Why? Because I have a sin nature that hasn't been dealt with yet. And I have to bring that sin nature to the only one that has a solution for that. He is the only one that has a cure for my sickness. And it's the blood of Jesus that He bought and paid for each and every one of us to set us free. And we have to come before Him and say, I'm the worst sinner I know. Forgive me. And we should do it often. That it's not a one-time deal. And sometimes we forget that we're sinners. Because we're the righteous. We're God's, we're the saints. We're God's children. And then we run around doing a bunch of crazy stuff. We wonder where God went. God's always been there. Trying to direct us back to who He is and His love and His plan and His guidance. His mercy, His hope, His grace. His plan, His purpose. There's not one of us perfect in this room. I'm the worst sinner I know. Every one of us needs Jesus. We need Jesus to come into some area of our life and bring redemption, bring correction, bring healing, bring restoration, bring His mercy, pour out His grace. That it is sufficient. That it empowers us on to things that we could not ever imagine that we could be possibly able to do apart from Him. So I just end tonight. Let's take a moment and let each of us ask Him in to whatever area. Whatever area is that area that we keep fighting Him in. We keep resisting Him. Lord, I just pray right now that You bring Your healing power. Lord, I pray that You would move in our hearts, breaking off the hardness, that You would turn our hearts to You.
that you would soften us, that you would turn our ears to you, that we know we've heard you, but help us to recognize it was you. Help us to to lay our sins down, not just try to manage it or resist it in our own power. But Lord, to come before you and begin to learn how to fight. Lord, I pray that you pour out your mercy on each and every one of us, Lord. That your love is more powerful than judgment. Lord, I pray that no one leaves here condemned, that no one leaves here ashamed, that everyone leaves here with hope. And I pray for the the men and women that, that came through this door tonight with their mind just, just going crazy with anxiety, that there would be peace tonight. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.